Welcome to the Wisdom of Coaches podcast. Coach Rabo here, joined today by Coach Falting and Coach Persant. Uh, Coach Persant had to finagle his way into getting some uh, power and internet because uh, apparently the eye of the Hurricane Laura. That's right. Laura, uh, passed right over Ruston, Louisiana, um, city of dreams. And Persant um, <laughs> has been without power until last night. And that hurricane went through what, Friday? Last Thursday. Last Thursday. Last Thursday so yeah, from Thursday, wow. 8 a.m. to yesterday sometime, we had no power. And just clarify, how, how far inland is Ruston, we're going to say? Like, I'd, I'd ballpark it 300 miles. <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost at the uh, Arkansas border. So it's... Uh, the entire state of Louisiana was yeah. traveled before this hurricane got to Persaud. Yes. <laughs> I would like and to say the hurricane took a small uh, stop over in, in Bossier City, where we are. Uh, we lost power for less than a day. Uh, but obviously, um, our I guess electricians and Swepco. <laughs> are, <laughs> yeah, we had we had energy with us. Yeah, so uh, it turns out for this hurricane, it was the uh, strongest hurricane to make landfall in Louisiana, the fifth strongest to make landfall in the U.S., and it was a Category One when it hit us, and so it was still hurricane strength when it went all the way almost into Arkansas. So it was a doozy. For sure. Yeah, I, I got nothing from here. I don't understand what you guys are complaining about. You didn't get rain? I thought it went in your, y'all's direction in North Carolina. Uh, too. I mean, we've been getting rain. Like, I'm tired of rain. Uh, so I'm sure we probably got some rain from it um, in some capacity. But, but yeah, no, I, we, didn't, we did not get hit. Any. I, I'm kind of confused by that statement, the strongest hurricane to hit Louisiana. Are, are we not, like, considering Katrina in this? Um, Katrina was a category – yeah, so Katrina was a category three when it hit. The so, reason it was so devastating is that New Orleans levees just crapped out on them. Well, yeah, the, the problem is the location that this thing hit. This thing hit somewhere between, like, Lake Charles and Beaumont, which um, is probably where they filmed Swamp People – uh, on on the TV, and as opposed to you know where they film like the real world and stuff in New Orleans, where <laughs> uh, Katrina hit and you know just uh, did some devastation there. If if this hurricane had hit in New Orleans, uh, we we would probably not have New Orleans. Um, yeah. So Laura was a Category Four, almost a Category Five when it made landfall. So. And halfway inland, uh, the hurricane was still uh, having winds of 84 miles an hour when it hit your old stomping grounds, Rabo. Oh, Pineville. Yeah, they are, they are still without, I think, water, um, city oh. water. Oh, no. Uh, so, yeah, David's probably having a field day down there working for Clico currently. So. Mm. <laughs> as long as they still got the donuts, man. Uh, they, they did. They reopened. I um, should make a trip down there just for some donuts, maybe one day soon. <laughs> Well, we got a great show lined up for you guys today. We're thankful Persaunt managed to uh, to find a place to, to get some internet so we can make this happen. Uh, we're going to answer our question of the week, uh, and then we have some great uh, news stories. A, a bit um, scarce on the track and field running news this week, but we've dug up some um, stories that we think will be interesting nonetheless. Uh, and then, of course, the... Uh, Body Briefs by Prasant will be here to answer all of your questions about the body, Prasant, or otherwise. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into today's question. We're making Prasant go first because Faulting and I realized that he's been um, – He's been kind of skating in the background the past couple of weeks, so we want to we want to put him in the frying pan first. Like, like uh, snowboarding is like the sports term for that. Yeah, yeah, sandbagging. <laughs> You're just kind of hiding under his basket, so if like somebody gets a rebound, they just throw it to him. Hey, it Cherry works, picking. doesn't it? <laughs> hey. <laughs> oh, all right. So uh, today's question, I actually um, I. I thought about this question uh i just finished i'm a little late to the the dance uh so to speak um i just uh finished watching the last dance uh on netflix even though i do have an espn account um it popped up on netflix so i started watching that and so uh i learned a lot about um you know the bulls that i didn't know and uh, of phil jackson that i didn't know and so while i was watching this i was just like man phil jackson's a, a incredible coach and it just started making me think you know this is a a, a 
website and a podcast dealing with the wisdom of coaches. So let's just, you know, pull the gloves off. No, any sport whatsoever uh, could be in the country, could be in the world. Who is the greatest coach of all time? And so I'm going to let Persant go first. I'm going to let Fulton go second because I have a feeling that um, I have two options and he might pick one of mine. And if he picks one of mine, I'm, I'm prepared to go with my, my second option on this. So uh, Persant, the greatest coach in the world. Who you All got? Right. So, this, if this is like a curling coach, I swear to God, <laughs> it's a cricket coach. No, not really. It's not. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, so, okay. As y'all know, and as the viewers are going to find out, I don't know very much about like sports. I started following sports when I was in high school, like late in high school. So. My introduction to sports is very bad. <laughs> so, but I have heard this guy is very, very good. And I looked into him and he is very good. Uh, Bill Belichick. So, yes. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that, that's okay. a good choice to go with. For, for you viewers that can't see us, the other two coaches are laughing their heads off right now at how excited I am to talk about Bill Belichick. <laughs> okay, so why do I think he's as good as he is? Um, so he has the third most wins of all time in the NFL. All right. And he has the ninth, ninth most win percentage of 0.683, but that's higher with more wins than either of the people that have a higher win percentage than him. So the other people that are higher rated have fewer than 273 wins. And he's won the most Super Bowl championships and he's had the second most years in the playoffs with 19. And so with him, it's a mix of both. He's performed for years in a row very, very well. And then when it comes to like the big stage where it like really matters and pressure is really high, he still performs to like, you know, the utmost of amazingness. So those are the reasons why I think that Bill Belichick, more so than other coaches, are as, are, you know, good, but he's the best. He's also one of only two, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, I believe I'm right, one of two coaches to have a perfect uh, regular season um, and almost went completely perfect. Uh, but as you say, performing well on the big stage that year, they coughed it up to uh, Eli Manning and the, the Giants only lost one game the entire season. And it was the one that mattered most. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was in like, what, 2008 that he went undefeated? Wait, sure. Something like that. <laughs> I feel like it was later than that. Um, I, I think so too. I, 2008 wasn't that the Saints Super Bowl, or is that 2007? Saints is like 2010 or uh, about somewhere. Around no, there. It wasn't 10 or 11. I was still in college, so that'd have been nine. Because I remember, like, right as I was getting into football, which was around that time, that's whenever he like went undefeated. So it was like 2007 or 2008, because that's when I started watching football. Okay. Yeah. Only one of us could like or something uh. <laughs> oh i have the internet now i could actually look it up <laughs> but yeah, I, I would so, say that's a you know for a guy who knows next to nothing about sports that's a, that's a pretty solid pick there persant um, yeah we, i mean we actually discussed this in advance uh persant and uh what we uh what i told Rabo was i imagine a scenario today where persant goes uh hey guys have you ever heard of a man named vince lombardi Okay, no. Uh, coach. <laughs> there's a trophy named after him. How could I not know him? <laughs> so uh, I do wonder why Persant, why did you not pick the number one winningest coach in NFL history? Because, and, and so the reason is that with his Super Bowl wins, I felt like Bill Belichick performed better on the world stage, not the world stage, but like the biggest stage of the never NFL. Won a CFL championship, Persant. It can't be the world stage. Well, I know that. <laughs> or an XFL. That's right. Is there a world stage of the XFL? <laughs> uh, there's no stage of the XFL currently, but uh, <laughs> although but yeah, Dwayne so, the Rock Johnson did just take a picture with some football helmets, so. But yeah, so the reason is with those Super Bowl wins, having six of them, that counts a lot in his favor, more so than Lombardi. I'm kind of upset that you didn't pick uh, Coach Bud Kilmer uh, as the the best coach of all time. This was, you know, I was trying to stay away from football coaches, but this was one of the ones, this was probably my, my number three go-to. Um, 
you know, I, I knew Falting, you would probably be familiar with him because he's, you know, kind of East Texas football coach. And, you know, we've we've dealt with some of that um, <laughs> during our uh, coaching experiences with East Texas coaches. But uh, Persona, have you ever heard of uh, uh, Bud Kilmer? Um, I have not. So Bud Kilmer is a uh, he was a high school coach um, in, uh, like I said, in East Texas, uh, West Canaan High School. Um, he was an incredible coach. Some would say um, maybe had some different uh, coaching mythologies that weren't necessarily um, PC, perhaps, or even healthy for his athletes. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, in 30 years, uh, he won two state championships and 22 district championships uh, while West Canaan uh, High School. He had, a, he had a quarterback that signed with Brown University. Uh, he had a statue erected of himself on campus. Um, it, was, it was pretty amazing. He, uh, uh, he coached, uh, you know, when, when athletes went down uh, with injuries, he found people to replace them. It, it was a pretty incredible job he, he did. Yeah, he got in a little bit of hot water for um, – he had a star quarterback that um, was supposed to go to Florida State and actually went down uh, with, a, with a knee injury. Uh, and the reason the quarterback went down was because there was another athlete, a lineman who had a concussion and he pushed him back out there to play. And then the lineman like passed out, a defender came through and, uh, hit this quarterback and actually injured him really badly. And then they found out that, um, he had basically been giving the guy like steroid shots in the knee for years. He had so much scar tissue built up. And so they were, uh, that was you know, some of the questioning mythology. Um, but, you know, um, Paul Wait Walker got back in it and uh, James Vanderbeek, uh, Coach James Vanderbeek and the rest of them to uh, win the, uh, the conference championship. I was about to say, Wait a minute, this is a movie. <laughs> The, the steroid shot thing. I think, I think it's a documentary, right? It's a documentary. <laughs> what is that movie? Varsity Blues. Oh, oh my gosh. I had it pulled up on Wikipedia to do this, too. Y'all are so bad. Because I, I, I remember seeing some movie about the, the knee and the concussion, and I was like, wait a minute. Uh, I, I, like, lost it halfway through oh, the beginning. Of it. I, I can't believe you so didn't catch bad. on. We were doing pretty, pretty darn good. <laughs> Believe it at all. I was like, wow, this guy sounds so cool. Is this a real guy? Is it real or no? Is no. it all fiction? I, I'm, it's I probably, you know. Blues is, a, is, is, is based on reality? I don't know. <laughs> At one point, some of these athletes steal a cop car naked and go driving around town. <laughs> the world is a crazy place, Faulting. Who knows what happens? <laughs> so, so I hate y'all, just to let y'all know. <laughs> So Prasant, after his quick tutorial on uh, NFL football, picked Bill Belichick. Uh, so I actually did want to reference Bill Belichick in, in my choices. Because um, to me, you know, obviously, you know, coaches at elite levels know their craft. Like they know how to teach their sport. All right. Um, and so if, if we start looking at great coaches, um, a lot of it's going to kind of even itself out in that sense. You know, if you look at uh, like Greg Popovich is a great coach for the Spurs and they've won uh, several NBA titles, you know, but you could also look at Phil Jackson and say the same thing, um, you know, or you could look at like uh, um, Red Arbach, you know, the Celtics, they won a bunch of titles and stuff. So uh, I don't think that that, you know, winning alone should be the separator in this. Um, to me, I think like, if we're going to take all the equivalent of like, I get to coach premier athletes to success, we need to look at the people who are maybe the most um, innovative or adaptable. And so I really like, you know, Bill Belichick for the sense that like when uh, Drew Bledsoe uh, got injured, had his lung punctured, uh, he put Tom Brady out there on the field. And then all of a sudden they were just amazing. Like they were better than with Drew Bledsoe had been the starter for several years. Uh, when Tom Brady uh, went down for a year. He put in, um, oh, I'm trying to remember who it was at the time, maybe Matt Castle. Uh, and the Patriots uh, went 11 and 5. They actually didn't make the playoffs at 11 and 5 that year, but was just tremendous. When Tom Brady was out for four games uh, due to air gate or whatever, inflate a gate, 
you know, he put Jimmy Garoppolo in and they won all these games. And then Jimmy Garoppolo went down and they put in um, another guy and they kept winning. And so – They did not – no, Tebow was on the Patriots team, but he was not the, the starter there. Uh, but, you know, I look at somebody like that who, you know, when bad things happen, they, they just keep going and they find a way to win. Uh, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I look at John Calipari, who coaches my, my favorite college basketball team, which is Kentucky. Uh, and, you know, with him, the creation of the, the one-and-done rule for athletes, he's getting in different athletes every year uh, to have to kind of adapt the game around. And so you look and see some consistent traits to what Kentucky's doing. Uh, but year after year, the, the offensive defensive plan is tweaked based on the athletes they get. Um, it's kind of where I, I, I frown upon, you know, Phil Jackson because, you know, Phil Jackson always won, you know, a lot of these titles. Uh, you know, he's, he's known for the triangle offense and he's just going to run this triangle offense. And it worked really well, you know, with the Bulls. Uh, it worked well with the Lakers up to a point when he was getting buy-in. Uh, it did not work well with the Lakers when he had the wrong pieces and when he went over to New York. Uh, to be the general manager and, and hired, handpicked a coach to run the triangle offense, it collapsed completely. And so, and, you know, and Phil Jackson, although he wins a lot, I see a guy who wants players to adapt to what he's doing, not necessarily adapt to, you know, the players that he's been dealt. And so that's why even though he's won, you know, 11 rings, which is amazing, I kind of take him off the list a little bit here. So my pick overall uh, – if we take everything into account, is uh, is the great John McDonnell, uh, the uh, track and cross-country coach at the University of Arkansas, who won 40 national titles multiple times. He won the Triple Crown. Uh, I know Rabo said we could pick any sport, but th this guy just has it all. Like, I read his biography, and, you know, you, you talk about a guy who adapted to the hand he was dealt year after year after year and stuff. Uh, there's a story in the book about uh, how they go to – NCAA Nationals and it's just been snowing and it's freezing cold and stuff and he wants his team to be prepared uh, to, to go out there and race and all these other teams are out there warming up in the freezing cold. He cranks up the charter bus. He has guys like get out of their seat on the bus, run down to the, the end of the bus and back and get back in their seat and they just go through this little routine where all the guys keep just running from seat to seat, you know, on this heated up bus. They roll the bus up right behind the starting line. They get off the bus ready to go and they go on and dominate at nationals and stuff. You know, and there's story after story about things that he did like that. You know, having a guy, you know, go down with an injury, you know, during uh, the track championships and going up to another guy, kind of hit him with like a placebo message of, you know, what needs to happen, how much he believes he can do it. Uh, convincing these guys to believe they could, you know, run out of this world or jump out of this world. And all of a sudden he's leaving with another title and stuff. So uh, he's got the winning pedigree with the 40 national championships. And he's got the, the innovation and adaptability that I'm looking for to separate, you know, a coach from, from other elite coaches. So that's my pick. Raybo, what do you got? Uh, so I, I was figuring you were going to go that. That was one of my two picks um, as well. You know, and, and I would like to point out on John McDonald, um, from 1991 to uh, 1994, uh, they won the what he would call the Triple Crown of Triple Crowns, meaning cross-country, indoor, and outdoor. No one beat them from the fall of 91 to the spring of 94. Um, so, yeah, he, he was a phenomenal coach. Um, you know, it's funny when you talk about, oh, like, we, we can pick any of them, and I definitely looked at thought about Bill Belichick. I definitely looked at, you know, basketball, looked at uh, – not so much baseball because I don't care, uh, but looked at track and field and stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, John McDonald is is probably my number one, if not. But, you know, I figured you were probably going that way, too. So I I, um, I had another one waiting in the wings um, would probably be my number one, too. But since you already said it, I'll, I'll go uh, a little bit different. I, you know. I am going to go Phil Jackson and there's a couple of reasons I'm going to do this. And this is something that um I've said before, and uh, it, it's something that I always think that it really marks the measure of a great coach. Not that you can't be a great coach if you don't meet this measure, but it's something to me that just kind of solidifies it. Um, you know, I've gone to these coaching clinics where I've seen, um, you know, somebody who's taken this team and created uh, 
a winning culture, which is an incredibly hard thing to do. And so, and that's something John McDonald did. My, my hat's off to that. That's an incredible coach, somebody who comes in, takes over a program that's not necessarily doing that great and then builds it up. And then I've seen coaches that like follow that up and people are like, oh, they're such a great coach. They're such a great coach. And to me, like, just because you can take over a successful program and do well, doesn't necessarily make you a great coach like the pieces were already in place like we've all you know when you're talking about training it's easier to maintain than it is to build and so kind of my thing is like I, if you know someone wants to be a really great coach I would love to see them start over and take another team and build that team up to like show me that that's like repeatable you know kind of like the guy that was super rich and he said oh I made this and people were like well you know you couldn't do it again and so the guy like sells off all his possessions and stuff and then within like five years has like made his million dollars back like that's something where he's like I can repeat this this isn't just something where I got lucky it's a repeatable skill and that's one of the things I liked about Phil Jackson was that he didn't just do it with one team. He did it twice with one team, and then he did it twice with a completely different team. And you might could argue, well, I mean, it was the Bulls and the Lakers. Yeah, but whenever he took over the Bulls, like, they weren't that great. Like, you know, they weren't a, a championship caliber team. It still took them several years to get to that point. And then, you know, they had the first uh, three-peat, and then, you know, they lost Michael Jordan and had some pieces moving in and out. And then he was still able to take them and, you know, bring them back another three-peat. And quite honestly, had you given that man and that team another year, might have come back and won another championship in, in the following year. And then he, you know, turned around and went to the Lakers and, you know, did the same thing with, you know, Shaq and Kobe and company. Um, and so to me, just being able to see that replicated is something that I really like. You know, Bill Belichick has done what he's done, but he's done what he's done in one place in New England. And <laughs> – he coached the Cleveland Browns for like a, a little while. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we all know how well that, that the dynasty of the Browns has emerged. Uh, Yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so that, that's one of the things I really respect. The other thing I really expect is, uh, you know, I, I will agree with the fact that he's been, you know, I think part of being a coach is figuring out how to adapt things to your athletes, whereas he's been a little bit more rigid in that regard in terms of like the offense he runs and, and how he conducts things on the court. But what I will commend him for is I don't know that there's been any coach that has managed larger than life personalities as well as Phil Jackson has. I mean, if you look at the guys he's coached, he's gotten the coach, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Kobe Bryant, Shaquille. And I mean, these are guys who like, if you were to put together like an all time list of like, you know, you're, you're starting like NBA team of 15 players. How many of these guys would be on it? I mean, like just, just mega superstars and guys like Robin who are just out there. And like, you watch like the last dance and you're like, just watching how he handles it. And it's so amazing. Like, he's just like, Hey man, go off for 48 hours. Like you need to blow off some steam. Just go. We'll be, we'll be fine. You know? And there's one part where Michael Jordan and them are going, you know, they made the playoffs and they're like, Phil, we got tea time. Let's go. We're going to play golf. And Jordan's like, young coach would have us practicing right now, but we don't need the practice right now. We need to blow off some steam and we need. And so to me, it's just having that like knowledge, that foresight to be like, this is what my team needs right now. My team doesn't need to go and practice and wear themselves down. They just need a break from something. And so I think that's part of coaching. And that's something that, you know, like I know you did very well whenever, you know, you were coaching multi-sport athletes and you had like Sarah and she's just getting mentally burned out from school and cross country and soccer. And you're like, hey, just take today off. Go kick a soccer ball around a little bit. Like have some fun. Don't worry about it, you know, because it's the bigger picture. You understand that losing one day of practice right. isn't going to lose a season. It's just like it's actually going to improve the player, improve the runner because it's, you know, giving them some time to, to do some things and so that's probably uh you know one of one of my I, I after watching that I had a newfound respect for what he's been able to do and, and how he managed these pieces um and and what he's been able to do and I mean the guy went and coached in Puerto Rico um for a while which he said that was nuts they had like a, a mayor shoot an official because he made a bad call and they said the only punishment was the mayor couldn't go to home games anymore uh, which I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, also, uh, uh, kind of a funny note I thought was that Phil Jackson is the um, his championships he's won as a player and as a coach is the uh, most of all time um, put together. So uh, let me see if I can find it. It was 
uh, 11 titles altogether as a coach and a player. So he won two titles uh, as a player, and then he's won nine titles as a coach. And so there again, you have a, a coach who can obviously win in the um, in the season when you know you need to win, but you also have someone who can go to a championship game and who can draw up plays and who can say, you know, we're going to give the ball to this person and you know and I just really liked the way he did, you know, there was one part uh, in the thing where, you know, that's the year Michael Jordan's out and they're, they need a point at the end of a game. And, you know, everyone wants the ball to go to Pippen and Pippen wants to go to the ball to go to Pippen. And he's like, we're going to go to Tony Kuko. He's been hitting like these shots all the time. And to the point where Pippen set the play out because he was so mad about it. But, you know, most coaches, I think when you had that personality, you'd have been like, well, let's give the ball to Pippen. And he knew that's not what we need right now. We need, this guy's going to make the shot and the guy hits the shot. And so like, that's a tough call to make as a coach, but like, again, it's just somebody who's able to manage these larger in life personalities while also winning when it counts and just winning in general. And so, um, you know, I also like the fact that he was a pretty good NBA player. I mean, he wasn't a superstar by any means. Um, and, uh, I always think that it's kind of funny. You see like really, really good athletes sometimes don't make really good coaches just because <laughs> uh, I, and my, my personal thoughts on this are if you're like just tremendously talented, you don't understand the work that has to go into it for the average guys, which is one of the things like, you know, Steve Kerr was on that Bulls team. Steve Kerr has made an excellent coach. And I think that's something that he's understood. Steve Kerr was just, I mean, he was good. He's in the NBA for, you know, goodness sake, but he was probably like an average player. So he understood the work that had to go into it. And so it was kind of funny when I'm watching that and I'm like, man, the way they're passing the ball around looks just like the way like Golden State passes the ball around. Like this is like, it's just, you know, stuff that he soaked up sitting on the bench, watching, playing, and is able to turn it around. And, you know, Golden State's won what, three championships in four years. Um, was it three and four years? That's correct, right? Well, I would so. think they're done winning championships at this point, but uh... yeah, yeah, they're they're no longer in uh in the hunt by any means. But uh, yeah, you know, I just I like the fact that he was able to be a pretty successful player, but also turn around and and be a successful coach, which I think is something that can be very difficult to do. We typically see um, that go the other way. Yeah. Also, Raybo. Actually, I was looking at his Wikipedia page. He's actually won 11 titles as a coach and nine as, and two as a player. So he's won 13 overall, not just 11. Oh, that's correct. Excuse me. Yeah. So. Because he won, even, he won five with the Lakers and six with the Bulls. Huh. I don't know all that now. <laughs> oh, I know he won six with the Bulls. I didn't realize he won so many with the, uh, the Lakers. I, I knew, I thought they had won, I knew they won three. They did the three-peat. Uh, and then they, uh, then Shaq left and they won with Kobe and Pau Gasol. In that group. Yeah. But yeah. then they must have won one more time if he had five with them. Right. So, yeah. but pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah, in fact, he he left after the three-peat and then came back to came coach. Back. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm a fan of Phil's. I know there's some weird stuff there with, like, peyote and, like, <laughs> Indian green pictures and whatnot. I, um, I was very yeah, interested I, in – you, you got to give credit to somebody, the fact that, uh, you know, him and John Calipari, they both, like, introduced a, a type of offense to the world that nobody has been able to duplicate to that level of success. And so it's always kind of what I think about, like, in distance coaching. Like, they're – like, I could take everything that Jim Ryan did and put my kids through it, and they're, they're not necessarily going to be Jim Ryan. You know, they're not going to break four minutes at high school. And so even though the blueprint is out there for things, that there are so many elements that go into implementing that blueprint to that same level of success. And so, uh, you know, Phil's system works for Phil. <laughs> yeah. know, and it doesn't necessarily work for everybody else uh, and stuff. So I got to give credit there. Uh, I also want to give, you know, a shout out because we, we make this joke all the time here. But, you know, we have a team in Louisiana, uh, Episcopal High School out of Baton Rouge, where um, they're coached by Clanny Duplishan, and I think they've won something like 28 straight uh, titles in cross country. And, you know, so I always think that's amazing when double high school people that they're, you know, different kids are, are rolling in and out of there, and you got to keep that success. And we always make the joke, like, I really would hate to be, like, the number five runner on the team that finally doesn't win at all. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Here's this, here's this, you know, box I have of all the state rings I've collected over the years. And, oh, look, there's this one little gap right here. 
you know, thanks. Uh, so I, I, I think that, you know, uh, Kleine has done an amazing job in his career. Uh, and, you know, like I said, uh, I, I would hate to be the one that, that, that came through and screwed that up. But uh, you know, so just even on the high school level, there are some impressive uh, people out there. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> so like, I have a question uh, for y'all before we move on. Um, is there a difference between greatest coast, sorry, greatest coach and most influential coach, like for the sport? I would say yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, like, uh, like James Naismith would be the most influential coach in basketball. Uh, he invented basketball. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But like, for so for example, like for running, I was like, I wonder Salazar with all the controversy he's gone through, how much of a change that's going to make in running itself. And so I'm, does that make him as a coach, not the greatest, but like the most influential in terms of changing the sport? I wouldn't name him most influential. No, yeah, I, like, I would have said like Bowerman over him is influential, or Lydiard, maybe not greatest, or, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, like Lydiard and like Saruti and those guys would be way more influential, I would think, than – Right, but I mean, like – yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think Salazar did a good job of picking the right people to coach, and did a good job of coaching those people. Um, but yeah, I would not put him on any list in the top probably five of greatest or most influential or or anything of that matter. Okay, but there is a difference between greatest and influential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Like I would say, John Madden is the most influential football coach of all time. Um, maybe up there with Vince Lombardi, but I don't know that I would say that they're the greatest football coach of all time. Makes sense. Yeah, I would, I would not call John Madden the greatest football coach of all time. <laughs> yeah, no, but influential. I mean, there, you know, there's not the, you know, Lombardi 2020 coming out where you play football. Um, right. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> so. Well, cool. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, good, good talk there. Uh, that was, that was rather enjoyable, if not somewhat predictable, probably on all of our parts. Um <laughs> Yep. Maybe with my lack time. of knowledge and I, I would have actually like good. thought it would have been great if you were to come up with like a a, a cricket coach or something for someone that would have been uh and like blow y'all's minds to how amazing he was. Like, mm, oh wow, that's wouldn't have blown our minds, but like <laughs> yeah. I, I would just be making sticky wicket jokes. Like <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right. So we are going to take a look at some of the, um, shall we say, lesser news that we've picked up this week. Uh, I'm going to kick things off with a little bit of an interesting article on uh, a current, excuse me, American record holder. Um, He is the American record holder in the um, half marathon and I believe the marathon as well. Is that that correct? Am I correct in those? I believe so. Ryan Hall. Uh, mm-hmm. The only American to go sub sixty for the half. Really? Or did Ritz go sub sixty? It's a good question. Has Galen gone sub sixty? I, I I don't I don't think so. Carry on. We will look this up as you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, Ryan Hall, who if you have not been keeping up with him, uh, now is basically taken up like bodybuilding since he retired in 2016 which I'm actually told a lot of like like runners do after they like finish like a running career and maybe they're just tired of being like tiny and skinny and stuff so they take up bodybuilding um but he uh, announced on Saturday that he is getting back into racing and he is going to be running a 69 kilometer race uh, his first crack at an ultra marathon so that would be um, I'm trying to do the math on this. Uh, 80 kilometers would be 50 miles. So this is going to be like, I don't know, four, 40-ish miles. 42.8. So there you go. Eight miles. Um, so he said he's just run five times in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the How much does he weigh now? Uh, I'm looking at like his Instagram and it, it looks like a lot. Um, this article is on trailrunning.com and it's got pictures from his Instagram. The event's the Grand Traverse Mountain Run, so also going to be very hilly, uh, which is not great if you have to carry a lot of bulk up and over those hills. Uh, it's going to be on September 5th in Crested Butte, um, Colorado. So um, he said that he likes to make things more epic by not training. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> which, yeah, which he 
Um, apparently in 2017, he did the World Marathon Challenge, which is where you do the seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. And despite minimal training, he finished fifth place for that, although that was only a year removed from his, you know, professional running. Um, and I don't know that he was quite as big, but he um, definitely is a whole lot bigger now. And so, yeah, he said he's been running about once a month so far this year. And um, he said he's going to be, to quote, in over my head, but that's where I like to be as an athlete. And uh, the run features more than 2,700 meters of elevation gain. So that's close to two miles of uh, elevation gain, um, about a mile and a half, mile and three something quarters, like something like that. Yeah, 3,200 would be two miles. Um, so yeah, what do you what do you guys think about um, <laughs> Ryan Hall running a forty mile race um, after only running five times in um, in the year? Well, uh, well, first off, the fact that he's now bulked up so much may actually help him in some way going up. I don't I don't know honestly. Uh, so well. Okay, so y'all can see was... Coach Falting and I face. We're making yes. the same exact so... face. We have a slight head tilt and we're squinting we it for some. Yes, so it helped, it helped the runners at Boston when it was so cold. Right, so whenever one, supposedly, right, whenever Ryan Hall was a professional runner, he had low testosterone. Right, that was like one of his big problems. I, I have no idea, but is sure. that why he retired? I, I thought he retired because it was hard to run while putting your hands around your own throat. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what? You're just saying he choked a lot? Yeah, absolute choke artist at the end. <laughs> so, well, I think it was like low testosterone that like caused a lot of the problems, which is why he quit running. I think so. And so now that he's bodybuilding and you know his weight's at a healthier level for him, I wonder if the higher testosterone alone will help him manage an ultra better. And that's just throwing it out there. Who knows? But. I'm going to go with no. Uh. <laughs> I do know that he, he has cut significant weight in prep for this. And it's like weird how he has figured out with his body how to to fluctuate that weight. So because when you see him, he, he's massive, but it, it is muscle. And he's able to somehow take that muscle and drop like 18 pounds of it off of his body uh, to get into something. Because pictures right now, he, he looks not like a, a traditional distance runner, but he looks like a very fit individual that could, could run uh, at the moment. And so um, there, there's some part that he is doing to prepare for this, whether he's wanting to tell us all this or not. Um, I, you know, was initially, you know, a huge, huge fan of, of Ryan Hall's. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a man of faith and, and he has never hidden his faith uh, from the world. And I like the way he trains and, and, He's written some, some really good books about his life that it, I've gotten to follow. Uh, it's just, I don't know, every time it looks like Ryan Hall is going to like have like this huge level of success, like build off of something, he finds some weird way to get in the way of things and stuff. You know, like he, he gave up everybody that's ever coached him. He's kind of coached himself by feel. Uh, at one point he was coaching himself based on like Bible verses that he read. I was going to say, didn't he like look up like, strange thing like in the bible where it would be like and so and so like hiked up a hill carrying 30 rocks in a backpack and so that was like how he was that that day he'd go find a hill and bring 30 rocks yeah he did stuff like that that was just strange it's like because i mean again I, I just pulled up the uh half marathon records for the u.s and he is at 5943 uh one of only two men to ever break 60 minutes uh for the half in america the other one is littered career not originally an American um, that ran 59 52. And then sadly, you brought up Ritz Rabo. Ritz ran a perfect 60, 60. minutes. Oh. Half marathon. <laughs> 60 <laughs> colon zero zero. You think he um, checked his watch at the line? <laughs> you know, so I mean, what Ryan Hall's been able to do uh, is amazing. Um, and I get, you know, now that he's you know, not necessarily in his prime and we're doing new things. Uh, you know, I, I think in reality, I would rather have somebody like Ryan Hall who is challenging his fitness level and trying to see what he can do in an event like this 40 miler or like when he goes and runs, you know, the marathon Hawaii or something more so than watching Nick Simmons do like the, the pogo stick mile or something like that. 
uh, in terms of appreciating like athletical uh, athletic ability, um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I just, I don't know with, with Ryan, I just, a lot of wasted potential in my mind. I, I really wish we could have seen what he could have looked like on the world stage at some point if everything had been clicking right. And mm-hmm. now we're stuck with five day trainings for 40 miles. <laughs> I would also like to know what, what those five days of training were, because that might change my, you know, he, his five days of training, he might be going out and like hoofing at 80 miles through the mountains, like each one of those days. And like, if that's the case, then yeah, I mean, this might go well for him. If he's going out and doing like a 10 mile each day, mm, probably not going to go quite as well for him. Um, but you know, you never know. I mean, once a world-class athlete, probably always a really good athlete. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. I appreciate the modifiers that that came out of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, there's you build up endurance over years, and I've I've seen it with friends who've run a long time and then take a little break, and you you think like, oh, it's going to take them a long time to get back up to speed, and I really think that's just something that kind of like it sticks with you even when you're not training quite as much, and you're able to you're able to pull stuff that you know maybe the average runner like uh, myself is is not going to be able to pull from because I don't have that background of you know years and years of high mileage training that's conditioned my body. So, well, all right. So uh, a few weeks ago we talked about uh, a 23 year old Ugandan runner, Joshua Cheptigi. I'm probably not pronouncing that right. I keep trying to go with Chepta guy. I just feel Chep- like you Chepta know. guy. Yeah, I think that's how you say it. Chepta wrinkly. guy. <laughs> well, uh, you might not know a guy, but I Chepta guy. No. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I would say that's a dad joke, but that's more of like a croissant joke. My jokes are not that bad. <laughs> oh man. Uh, anyways, he he set the five k world record at Monaco. Um, he. Um, raced the uh, the lights uh they apparently have a rail on the inside of the track i believe we spoke about this where they can program at any pace and so they set it world record pace and he went out and did it also had a new pair of nike spikes called the dragonflies which are using the vapor foam um and so impressive nonetheless no matter how you spend as long as it wasn't you know a drugged performance which at the moment we don't believe it is um he ran a, an incredible race and our hats off so uh, in light of this, he has now said that on October 7th, he is going to be going after the 10K world record, uh, which I believe is uh, also held by uh, Bekele. Mm-hmm. That is correct. And Bekele held the 5K record that he just beat. So, um, yeah, I mean, why not? If you're if you're in, you know, world record 5K shape, I can't imagine that you're, you're not pretty close to world record 10K shape. Um, I'm sure he's been training you know, over 100 mile weeks and he has the fitness for it. So I would like to point out for the record that very few people have ever held both the five and 10K records um, at, at the same time, you know, where uh, that happens. So so maybe there is something to be in 5K shape and not necessarily 10K shape or, or vice versa there. That's true. But, you know, and there's also some stuff where, um, you know, when I've, I've read some stuff about training and especially like leads training, like, if you're running 100 to 120 miles a week, which most of these individuals like the the training for like a miler to like a marathon, well, let's say a miler to a 10k or like reality, like your your weekly you know build up your aerobic base stuff is not really that different. It's just kind of your final like you know specific training in your last 12 to 16 weeks, which change. But if you talk about like a 5k to a 10k guy, like I mean, how different is the pace even really there between those two um, in the grand scheme of things? I mean, I, I would say that's, you know, it's not like it's uh, the mile record holder going out to break the, the marathon world record. I, I would say that there's a, a bit of crossover there for someone who just ran the fastest 5K uh, on earth without stopping uh, between reps and doing it downhill, <laughs> which, go ahead. What? What distance doubles are, are would y'all be the most impressed with for somebody holding the world record? Is, is the five ten k the most impressive or the one hundred marathon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with, within within reason, something you think you you would see that you'd be like, yeah, that's you know legit. Uh, I mean, I you know if you look at it, like I, I think five k ten k. 
in terms of like an actual distance double is about the only one that's even realistic. I mean, you might, I would say it would be more impressive to me if you held a 10 K and marathon world records at the same time, just because there's such a vast difference between those two. Um, and I think you do have to approach those so differently, especially since you're, you're, you know, marathon's not on the track, it's going to be on the road. Um, I don't know that anyone's ever held the world record for the marathon. That would be something to look up. Um, Did Haley Gibber-Selassie do that? Potentially. Yeah. If there was anybody, it would have been him. Um, I mean, Bekele has run under 202. Did he have that record before um, Kipchoge, or did Kipchoge run the lower 201? Well, my timelines are all over the place. <laughs> yeah. So, so, the, so the 10K marathon would be kind of where yours is at. I, I think so, just because I don't, I don't, I think the only two realistic distance ones are, would be 5K, 10K, or 10K marathon. I don't really see. Maybe, I maybe I could have saw Jenny Simpson doing like a 1500, 3000 steeple double uh, record. Uh, I don't think she'd have that at the world stage, but as an American record, I, I could see her at one point of having that. That would be kind of impressive, just because like you know the steeplechase aspect but i still think those are two pretty similar races what about donovan brazier the, the 800 1500 i feel like those are close enough in like energy systems and like speed is more necessary at that point than endurance so i feel like that's close enough to be the same sort of impressiveness that might be more impressive to me than like a 510 um 10 marathon is the most in though. 10, 10 marathons most to me, but I think a 815 is more impressive than a 510 because to me, the 800 is just so much different from the 1500. Like the 800 at this point is like basically just like almost a flat out sprint for two. Right, right. I mean, it's, it's just <clears throat> I will ridiculous. Tell you, I would be way more impressed with the 800, 1500 gold double than any of the other distance doubles just for the sheer fact of how many rounds you would have to go through and yeah. the elite level you'd have to step up on the stage for every time. Right. And, and I would like that because I think that would be a lot of tactics as well, which is something I really enjoy. And, you know, I, don't get me wrong. I love seeing guys going out and run fast, but like sometimes just like around those races, having to plan that out, like, okay, you know, who's in this heat with me? Am I going to have to run this all out or am I going to be able to kind of dog this a little bit and still make it to the finals? You know, am I going to play the game where I have to get the top two or am I going to go back in, you know, third place and hope that I'm in a time. So to me, that kind of introduces that realm of the unknown, which is, you know, one of the reasons I like, like the marathon. It's just something where it kind of starts introducing those, those little nuances that you like you have to get right or it's not going to work for you. You know, like, I mean, 5k, 10k, you know, like people fall down in that race, get up and go on and win it. And not that those aren't incredible athletes, but like, I think you can dial that down pretty well. Um, whereas well, your bottle in the marathon, you could be just absolutely screwed. You, yeah. You could, you know, I mean, you know, road running too, it, it's going to be different from the track, you know, um, if you're running for two hours, I mean, my goodness, you know, what, what could go wrong in that picture? So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting to, to take a that, That's a, a good question. I wonder what the strangest double was. You know, uh, Alan and I talked about when we did that interview, um, we had a guy the year that our track team won the state championship. This is probably one of the strangest doubles that has ever taken place. He meddled, meddled? He, he definitely scored in the... I believe meddled in both, but 100% scored in the 800 discus. <laughs> well, I do know, uh, you know, Victoria Morris's senior year for me, uh, she uh, qualified for regionals in the long jump, triple jump, pole vault, and four by 800. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a unique combination of events, mind you. Uh, she she also, swapped out that four by eight for the two mile, and then we would. <laughs> He also qualified technically in the 300-meter uh, hurdles. Uh, she placed the 300-meter hurdles at district, but she was an alternate in the 4 by 8 that we put her on the 4 by 8 team at regionals uh, to ensure that we'd qualify for state, uh, which, which they did. But, yeah, so a very, very wide range of abilities <laughs> there. Okay, so completely random question. This is me being ignorant. Do high schools in the U.S. have – heptathlons and decathlons they, they do have some uh so arkansas actually has like a separate like decathlon state championship uh that they do 
some of the, the Nor'eastern uh, groups have things like heptathletes and stuff like that. Uh, it's, it's really uh, interesting how track isn't the same all over the place. Like for instance, some states don't allow the javelin. Uh, some states do have the hammer throw. Uh, some states follow a totally different order of events than what we follow in Louisiana. Uh, so it's very odd when you see some of these people run and you're like, why are they running the two mile like at this point in the meet? Like this doesn't make sense. But it only doesn't make sense because in Louisiana, the, you know, the two miles is the second to last event, but somewhere else it might be, you know, some other way of they, they you know, they go about doing it. So there, there isn't a lot of uniformity to, to track and field. Okay. High school range. So they do have, you know, heptathletes and decathletes here and there. I imagine in Louisiana, you have to put it at the end so that you don't have people dying uh, in the heat. You know, at least they get, it gets dark, hopefully, before they have to run the two-mile and cool down a little bit. Uh, I think Louisiana puts it toward the end so that the football coaches can go have something to can eat leave. while the two-mile is running. <laughs> I've also heard that coaches in Texas, whenever they're running off the discus and shot put, instead of actually marking every single throw, they just put a flag out uh, and only mark your furthest throw. Yeah, that's an awesome way to, to, to score a meet, let me tell you. Uh, an hour and a half of looking for flags, and then if there's a tie, God it's bless you. To be, no tiebreaker. When I'm still over there watching my athletes throw and, you know, see other high school athletes chasing down, like, which flag is marked number two for the, you know, second hour in a row while you guys are on, like, the freaking 300 hurdles, it, it gets old pretty quick. Also, yeah. as pointed out, what happens if there's a tie? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, everything's better in Texas. <laughs> That's true. No. Uh, all right. So a bit of interesting news. Uh, there was a professional cross-country race um, recently. That, did this take place in New Zealand, Faulting? Or? Uh, yeah, so this was the New Zealand cross-country championships um, where uh, a, a dual uh, Olympian, uh, Robbie Johnston, who qualified for the 92 and the 96 Olympics for New Zealand in the 10K, uh, was running. And uh, he won the Masters Division race for the ages, what, 50 to 52. Uh, completely dominated the race. It said rarely was anyone ever even near him during the race. And uh, after winning the race and uh, starting his cool down, he was approached by a race director who disqualified him from the race for spitting in an aggressive manner uh and you know on I, someone uh, yeah so i hear spitting in an aggressive manner and think maybe he likes spit on somebody but you'd be wrong uh <laughs> the aggressive manner of spitting was that um based on the COVID guidelines for the new zealand race athletes were discouraged from spitting or having mucus run out of their nose during the race and so um, uh, Robbie Johnston spit twice during the race, allowing for, I guess, the chance of COVID to be spread more easily and was DQ'd because it threatened the safety of others when he spit on the ground. Wow. That I mean, something. this is New Zealand who is taking a militant approach uh, to the COVID pandemic and as was one of the countries at one point that was completely free of it for at least a brief amount of time. I think they may have picked up some cases, but, uh, you know, certainly, I guess, a little bit more um, hardcore about that than, than you know. I mean, the, the, the Kiwis are wacky. They like to overreact to things. Have, have you ever seen a pack of cigarettes from New Zealand? Oh, is that where they have, like, the picture of, like, the, the charred lungs on them and stuff like yes. that? like, they'll have, like, just these terrible pictures of of the things that smoking does to you. And it's like, it's not like a tiny picture. Like it's like the dominant image on the package. Like I don't know if I would call camel, that an overreaction. Camel's lung, uh, you know, there and stuff. So they, uh, yeah, they, they, they get pretty aggressive in how they, uh, they correct people. So I guess the, uh, the, the spitting uh, in this country is, is highly frowned upon. We're, we're lucky that Robbie Johnson didn't get carried away in like handcuffs or Whatever also something that Joe Camel would have done. <laughs> I can't imagine a scenario, you guys run way more than I do, um, where you could tell your body in running to not produce like mucus out of your nose. Like, I guess you're just going to have to sniff the entire time you're running. Like, yeah. You guys can't turn it off? I mean, just... <laughs> 
I'm assuming there they mean like don't blow a snot rocket. Like I'm assuming right. that's what they mean by mucus, not just like oh your nose is running, you're disqualified. Like, do people blow snot rockets enough in races to make that a rule? Uh, I've, I've gotten a snot rocket blown on me in the middle of a race. That was very annoying. <laughs> Let me what guess. Mean, of that was I have. <laughs> that was in Louisiana. Yes, it was. Yeah. Well. <laughs> you know, as I used to tell you, Prasant, when you would run in the middle of the street while we were going, like, Prasant, you're in Louisiana, man, and you, you know, you can't be running in the middle of the street. Some guy in the truck's going to run you down. Uh, so that's that's probably what happened here. Are you uh, implying that there was, like, a racist <laughs> runner that snot rocketed Prasant? <laughs> in Louisiana? Mm. <laughs> no, no. Of course happen. not. Wouldn't no. happen. Wow. <laughs> well on that note um i guess it's time to to turn things over and um let's talk about some uh body briefs by percent let's let's do some body stuff <laughs> every every week you have a way of making it so much worse than it needs to be like because y'all decided to call it body briefs by percent so we aren't gonna... married to that. We just, you know, like it for the moment. <laughs> Come up I'll with know. something better. Your suggestion for this was prasant all up in your body. Uh, <laughs> so I think that Rebo and I chose a, a much more um, friendly for the family uh, uh, description of this segment than prasant all up in your body. I never said that one. I said a dive into the body, which maybe is not better, but. That's uh, worse. Again, <laughs> you've made it worse. Yeah, so, um, well, yeah, so we'll, um, you know, <laughs> bear with us on this. All right. Uh, so, Prasant, um, most uh, of the time that all of us have been coaching, we've been coaching the high school athlete. And we know that the high school athlete is um, extremely uh, overzealous in things. Uh, we've had those athletes before that. Uh, maybe take, you know, two or three days off from running and then decide, like, I'm going to make it up, so I'm going to go and run, you know, 12 miles today to make up for not running for these days. And uh, so I have found that, you know, that's kind of the way the process works in their mind. And uh, one of the things that I noticed is that uh, some kids start to get this idea that uh, maybe there's a limited amount of time in the day to, to run, uh, but there's not a limited amount in the time in the day to do ab work. And some of these kids equate more ab work equals better runner, uh, which is true to a degree. Uh, but is, is there, you know, at some point a law of diminishing returns uh, when it comes to ab work or even a point where like maybe these kids could be doing damage uh, repping out some of this ab work. So tell me, tell me the keys to, to, to successful core work without diving too deep into the, the wrong direction. All right, so what I would say is that, yes, you could definitely have too much ab work. You can have too much core work. You can have too much of anything you do, really. Um, so first off, what is core work? Core work is a mix of your abs and also your hips and your glutes and your iliopsoas, which is the main muscle that helps flex your hips. And so what I feel is a lot of people, when they say, I'm going to do a lot of core work, is they just start doing a lot of ab work and not actual core work. And so they're just focused on doing a lot of like sit-ups and leg lifts. And that works, you know, your ab muscles in one plane, but there's a lot of stuff that they're missing out on at the same time. And so in the process, they're going to start having muscle imbalances. You know, they'll have really tight hip flexors because all they're doing are sit-ups and their glutes are going to get a lot weaker. And in the end, it's going to hurt them long-term than help them. So yes, the, the issue is not just doing too much, but doing too much of one particular type of thing and not actually working at your entire core. So, yeah. so what, what would be some suggestions, um, you know, a, a kid that, you know, isn't very knowledgeable goes out and does, you know, uh, 100 crunches a day mm. or something like that. Um, although, yeah, that's developing, uh, you know, some of the core there, what would be your suggestions uh, in terms of attacking things to get the best results? So this actually kind of falls into what you have done in the past in the gym, where you say, all right, you're going to work on, um, you know, a hinge movement. You're going to work on a, 
like a lateral movement, you're gonna work on a, a frontal movement. So make sure that whenever they do core exercises, that they're doing a mix of exercises that work your body in all directions. So in the, you know, move up and do some sit-ups if you want, or some leg lifts, and then move in the backward direction and do something that works on your glutes, like uh, hip bridges, and then move side to side by doing like side leg raises or crab walking to the side. So if you give them like four or five different exercises, when you say, if you want to do core, do all of these, then they're less likely to focus too much on one thing only and start getting imbalances. So that's what I would say. And also doing too much to the point where you're so sore, you cannot run because I've accidentally done that before where I take a long time off of like exercising. I'm like, all right, I'll get back to what I used to do. And then I'll do a hundred leg lifts and stuff. And the next day I can't even run. Make sure they don't do something dumb like that. <laughs> all right. So uh, define hypertrophy uh, for everyone in terms of like uh, arm workouts and stuff. Okay, so hypertrophy or hypertrophy, there are different ways of pronouncing it, is when so hypertrophy. Yeah. <laughs> is when you exercise and your muscle fibers themselves actually get bigger. So you're not making more muscle fibers, you're just making the ones you already have bigger and stronger. And so there are a lot of different ways of doing that, but the primary way that people consider hypertrophy or hypertrophy is to do lower weights, higher reps. Whereas if you want to work on strength, you do the opposite. So in that sense, uh, can you get uh, hypertrophy uh, <laughs> from, uh, from ab work? Can, can you have a, uh, the effect where maybe your abs aren't getting like more defined as a distance runner, but they're actually getting like quote unquote bigger? Um, and so like too bulky for the runner is right. your question? Right. Uh, so it's actually really hard to do that with your ab muscles and your core muscles in general, because your core is designed to always be active and always be engaged if you're ever like walking or sitting or running or anything. So those muscles are designed for long term usage and to be used over and over and over. So it's really hard to work those to the point where they start seeing that much hypertrophy and that much bulkiness to where it would hinder the runner. So that shouldn't be a major worry for the runner, okay. in my opinion. So, yeah. Fun facts. Yeah. Fun so, facts. Uh, yeah. We'll keep, so we're going to keep you out of people's body, but we <laughs> will uh, <laughs> like to, to brief everyone on, on how their body works. Um, yes. All right. So uh, before we go, Rabo, because I know you always sign us out, I, I do have to let y'all reminisce for a second. Uh, so one of the the pride and joys of coaching high school cross country is the fact that high school cross country kids can be both valedictorian and some of the least intelligent people on the planet when it comes to common sense. Hmm. So uh, yesterday yeah. when I, I walked out of my office to go out to the track to meet the kids, I walked out to a kid asking me, coach, why do platypuses exist but not unicorns. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, did you tell them that technically a unicorn does exist and it's called the narwhal? I, I brought up the unicorn of the sea. That did take place. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, I, I was also asked, what's the difference between a beaver and a platypus? I pointed out the duck bill. Um, I was asked why elephants can even possibly exist because of how much they weigh for their size, and why do they have horns? Uh, horns? They call them horns. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so just just an interesting time. I wanted you guys to be able to 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 not miss out on the things that we have dealt with in the past, um, <laughs> you know, because uh, you know, for for those of y'all who have never been around our teams, uh, our teams are what we would like to call geographically challenged. Yes. Uh, so uh, uh, with our teams, we've had people that uh, believe that you could drive from Louisiana to London. Um, we've had people believe that Wisconsin is an island. Uh, we had somebody who believed that we could live on the sun if it were nighttime. Uh, yeah. And we once convinced somebody that they could have Jesus Christ's social security number because they reuse social security numbers when people die. And what was his number? 
<laughs> it was it was like one or something like that. Number one, right? yeah. He was the first <laughs> social security number. We also convinced I convinced uh, some of the runners that um, Panda Express serves Panda because Burger King serves burgers and Taco Bell serves tacos, and they they were tried to you know be smart and they're like, well, pandas are endangered. And I was like, yeah, it's a secret menu item. You you gotta ask for it to get it. And then uh, we also convinced somebody that. Um, party in the USA was an actual political party, much like the Democrats or the Republicans. And then they said, that's just a Miley Cyrus song. And I said, well, she wrote it for their national convention. And they're like, oh, okay. And so I believe that person that the Donner party Donner party. Yeah. I was gonna say they, they went and told the studies teacher who was this like 70 year old guy had been teaching for God, 40 years at that point, uh, this, and he just looked down the hall at us and was shaking his head. So, uh, I don't know, dismayed or um, impressed. (laughs) I got to think that people appreciate our ability to convince children of such things. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had someone ask me if Hawaii and Alaska were actually both islands and both next to each other. Side by side off the coast of California, man. That's that's right. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, got to love these kids. Oh yeah, so I didn't want y'all to miss out on the new crop of kids who are less geographically challenged and more zoologically challenged. Um, I wish I could tell that. I wish I could, because you learned this in biology class, you know, evolution and how it works. I want to sit down with them and see what they think and see if I can explain it to them and convince them otherwise. (laughs) You think the platypus evolved from something? Uh, I'm thinking that it's just proof that God has a sense of humor. He does. Uh, yep. Well, all right, guys. Uh, that was a fun trip down memory lane there. Um, sometimes I never, uh, <laughs> never uh, cease to amaze me how how what we always say the dumbest smart kids we know. Um, what what was it I told you yesterday uh, when you picked up the phone? You said what did you say you were doing? And I told you that was going to be the the title of your um, biography. Oh, dang it. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, something along the effects of like sitting around waiting for people to screw up or something. Yeah. Uh, it was it was pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, uh, there are definitely times where I, I miss uh, the shenanigans that I got to deal with with the high schoolers. And then uh, Balting calls me and tells me about some dumb stuff they did. And then I don't miss it at all. So, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, all right, gang, that's all we got for today. Uh, Thank everybody so much for tuning in. Uh, We will be back next week, hopefully with a little bit more news as um, cross country season. uh, We'll hopefully start picking up for some here uh, with Labor Day coming up on Monday. Uh, Typically cross country season starts picking up after that. Faulting y'all have any races coming up? Uh, I am the hoster of the first race in North Louisiana on September 12th. So uh, 10 days from now, uh, we will be rocking and rolling and uh, seeing what, uh, what races look like in, uh, in this new uh, paradigm. So, uh, but we're going to make it happen one way or the other and, uh, and get something good out of it. And I, I'm excited. I, I am starving for a race. So uh, September 12th can't get here quick enough. Good deal. So we'll be uh, be sure to let everybody know how that goes, um, good or bad, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the following week. So uh, thank everybody for tuning in. We're going to let Persaan get back to living in the Stone Ages. Um, and not I have... hope my internet comes back by tonight, hopefully. Ugh. It's frustrating. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, sometimes I don't miss Rustin. Well, actually, I never miss Rustin. Uh, <laughs> best city in the world uh, (laughs) easy (laughs) it's not even the best city in i was gonna say lincoln parish but it's the only city in lincoln parish (laughs) (laughs) oh man well thank everybody so much for tuning in um we hope to catch you guys next week it's been a great time goodbye here from coach Rabo, coach persona coach faulting and have a happy labor day peace